Last week, you heard about the amazing moment in Luke's gospel when John baptizes Jesus. And then God says, You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. In that version of the story, only Jesus could hear God's blessing. John and all the other people knee-deep in the River Jordan don't seem to know what's happening, but Jesus must feel this intimate moment between him and God, God launching him into a life of teaching and healing us and ultimately giving his life for us. We see in Luke how it all begins. Today we hear a very different launch story, this time from the Gospel of John. Now last week in Luke, the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove, and God speaks to Jesus. Today, by contrast, his mother tells this 30-year-old son of hers to launch already. And this happens at a wedding in Cana. The bridegroom, a distant relative, the crowd, immense, Jesus, his friends, his mother, they're all there, part of the scene. You know, in, in the first century world, weddings lasted for days, just as they still do in many parts of the world today. And the couple's family, it was up to them to lay on delicious meals day after day after day and many, many, many bottles of wine in order to keep the guests satisfied. And doing this was how you showed your dignity and standing in the community. And to fail, well, to fail was to bring shame on yourself and your whole family. So in today's story, third day of the wedding, and we hear the unthinkable occurs. The wine runs out. And we hear that when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And don't you love how Mary simply states the facts in a time-honored motherly shorthand. The instructions are implied. It's probably like when he was little and to get him to do his chores, she might say, your clothes are dirty, or the animals are hungry. Her meaning is clear. Her expectation is clear in this moment, too, that Jesus do something already about the wine shortage. It's clear as a bell. And Jesus' first response is he, he tries to shake off her message like, like a petulant child in words that sound surly to me. He says, woman, that's the surly part, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. And scholars say that calling his mother woman, woman, doesn't come across so brusquely in Aramaic, but to me it still sounds testy. And then the explanation, my hour 
has not yet come. So, unlike Luke's gospel last week, when Jesus doesn't even seem to fully know his true identity until the moment of baptism, coming up out of the water, here we find Jesus already aware that he is on a path governed by God and God's timetable. And he doesn't believe that this is his moment to launch. He doesn't think that this is the moment for him to fully manifest himself. His mother, though, has other ideas. And I like how Jesus' mother is actually the one tuned into God's timetable here and understanding that the time is indeed now. This busy scene, a wedding celebration with no wine, a perfect moment to begin. Why, though, doesn't it seem like a wedding would be a somewhat trivial scenario for this great launch? Maybe, but another way of thinking about it is that the community needs him, and Mary perceives it. In this version of Jesus' launch, his work among us is activated by our collective need. A thirsty community jolts him into action. And I can't help loving how Jesus, after putting up his slight and failed resistance, does exactly what his mother says and what the thirsty community needs him to do. You know, Mary only appears twice in John's Gospel and is never referred to by name at all. Yet, she's so important here. First today, we see her at the wedding, activating Jesus' life among us, and the other time we see her at the foot of the cross, watching him die. She bookends his life and his work among us in these two key moments. So this first moment, the wedding launch, it matters. We know that his mother matters. The miracle, or as John calls it, the sign, that Jesus works at the wedding, of course, is to turn six huge stone water jars into wine. Now, waiters rush around and fill up these six jars, 20 or 30 gallons each, and we can see this as the first example of community buy-in to Jesus' identity, and we hear that the steward who tastes this water that turned into wine, calls the bridegroom over and says approvingly, everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests are all drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. The best for last. A happy occurrence at any wedding, yes, and a symbol, a sign to Jesus' disciples of a new age beginning, an age of grace and 
hope and abundance, a time like fine wine. A sign that God cares very much about our life and well-being in community. And this story today of Jesus' launch as powered by the needs of community gets me thinking, of course, about the martyr we remember and celebrate and honor this weekend, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. We wear a martyr's red in memory of him. And you know, King, unlike his father and his grandfather before that, did not want to become a minister. He didn't want to join the family business. Like any PK, preacher's kid, he went off to college, Morehouse College in his case, and spent the first two years drinking beer and shooting pool. And yet, at some point along the way, he came upon the writings of, of Gandhi and begin, began to think about social justice and the nonviolent protest movement. And he also began to realize that maybe leading a church would be the perfect platform and position for him to call for and enact real change. And so seminary followed, then doctoral studies at Boston University, after which newly married, he returned to the South. This was 1955 to take up leadership at Dexter Street Church in Montgomery, Alabama. And Montgomery, Alabama became his River Jordan, his wedding at Cana, his launch. Local NAACP Secretary Rosa Parks' recent arrest had sparked a one-day bus boycott involving 20,000 black citizens in Montgomery who refused to ride the local buses. And next, the local leaders of the NAACP and other organizations reached out to King and asked him to help launch an ongoing bus boycott movement. And at the same time, in another building of Community King and others established the community of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and he himself became engaged in social justice causes and communities around the country. In the next and final 13 years of his life, he traveled six million miles and was jailed 29 times as he helped one community after another face down injustice. And ultimately, he lost his own life to the needs of the community. And on the night before his assassination in Memphis, Tennessee, not knowing that he himself stood at the foot of the cross, he reflected in these famous words the night before he died. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. 
I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. And then he continued. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. These are heartbreaking words for us to hear, knowing as we do now that he would only live a few more hours. A martyr is a witness, someone who, like King, sees and tells us about his faith in God, who witnesses to God even with his own blood so that we can know and remember and witness to God too. And King wants us to remember his witness. Another time, also toward the end of his life, he said these words which sound like they could be spoken today in our current climate and situation in our country. He said, there is a creative force in this universe working to pull down the gigantic mountains of evil. A power that is able to make a way out of no way and transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows. We know about the mountains of evil. And we know, as Christians, we know about the creative force in the universe working against it. So my question to you this morning is, how are you being activated? How are you being launched? Amen.